0: I want to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Dwayne Polk. Some of you know him. He's been a, sort of a regular uh, here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, I've known Dwayne well, for about seven, eight years now. We grow back a ways. And he's been a good friend. We have a growing friendship. Uh, he's been a colleague. Uh, he's been an intellectual sparring partner. We've had many a good theological discussion. And regardless of what he might tell you, I've won every one of those. Okay, just so you know. But I I really appreciate this man. And he's a new father. Last week, uh, he and his wife, Aki, delivered a beautiful little baby. Just as cute as they come. Uh, The palm of your hand is the cutest little baby. Uh, So he's a very proud father, and we're very proud of him. Um, And and I I asked him several weeks ago to uh, come and share the word this weekend. Um, Part of that's just that it's always good to have a diversity of viewpoints uh, cracking open the word. We never want to get just locked into one way of delivering it. Uh, part of it is that I, I just see the hand of God on this young man. And uh, he is a gift to the church body, and, and so I wanted to ask him to come and share. And the timing couldn't be better, uh, because um, I woke up this morning and felt like a Mack truck hit me. I got an attack, a case of the, the, the grub, and you know, it's all... So I, I'm really not in the position to be delivering in the word anyway so now I know whether that was just good luck or divine foreknowledge or whatever the theologians can figure that out but I'm just glad that you're here to preach this weekend Dwayne so please give a, a wood, good warm w- Woodland Hills welcome to Dwayne Pope come on up my Dwayne.
1: good morning Woodland Hills that's enthusiastic that's what I'm talking about Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am Dwayne Polk, and I am always happy to be back home. Um, Like I said, I don't visit here. I come back home. This is my home with my brothers and sisters, and so I'm just pleased as punch to be here. Want to just get into some prayer, and then we'll just dive right into the word, if you don't mind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a good God, a loving God. None of us would be here if it weren't for your continuous grace and mercy. So at this time, we would like to just continue our worship and praise of you through the word. I pray that you would completely decrease me, Lord, that you would empty me and that you would just fill me and fill all of us with your spirit. Unstop our ears, unloose our hearts, that we might hear and internalize what you have to say to us. Without you speaking your word, nothing else matters, God. And so we just lift up this whole service to you. And at the same time, we lift up our senior pastor to you, Lord. We pray his, your healing power upon his body, Lord. We pray that you would restore him physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever he stands in need of. We as a body join together to lift him up to you. And we believe that you are having your work even with him right now. So as we go forth with this word, Lord God, we pray that your spirit would strengthen and convict and guide, and that as a result, that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. All right. Last week, Greg talked about not being like the Pharisees. And he spoke about a lot of different dimensions of the Christian life. Aspects like humility. Aspects like being dutiful servants to God. This week, we're going to be looking at another dimension that marks the life of the believer. And that is living with gratitude before the gift-giving God, living gratefully before the gift-giving God. We know that all good gifts come from our Father. And so in this story that we're going to be looking at, we're going to see the promise and the perils of living in relationship with that gift-giving God. Now, we're sticking with the book of Luke, but we're moving on to chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. Luke 17, verses 11 through 17. Now, I'm going to be honest here. When I started this sermon... I started out with a much larger judgment quotient than I ended with. It's nothing like God to kind of take you through something and show you where you really stand on some things to kind of humble you. And that's what happened to me, so you'll see what I'm talking about here in a moment. For right now, well, before I do that, if I were to title this message, which I guess I will, I would title this, Giving the Gift of Gratitude. Giving the gift of gratitude. Now we're going to go to the scripture. Let's read. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That's going to be important later. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, the one who came back, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Okay, I'm going to set the scene here. Here we have Jesus of Nazareth. He's the wonder worker. He is headed towards Jerusalem. At this point, he's already declared the kingdom of God with his coming for some time. He's been preaching. He's been driving out demons and doing all kinds of miracles. So by this time in his ministry, he's pretty well known around the area. He's healed paralyzed people, he's healed blind people, and he's healed people with all kinds of skin diseases, including leprosy. And I want to focus on that last one specifically because of the story that we're dealing with. Now having any kind of physical challenge or any kind of physical malady can be hard at any time in any culture. But back in this particular time period, in this particular culture, to have a disfiguring skin disease was effectively to have kind of a scarlet letter on you. It's an instant ticket to judgment by others because often they felt like people that had those kind of skin diseases were actually cursed by God. It meant being separated from loved ones for being thought to be harmful to their well-being. And also, it was an all-around perception that you were untouchable, that nobody could be around you. And we're not just talking about people feeling sorry for you or people feeling pity for you. We're talking about actual disdain, actual dislike, actual forced isolation because of the skin disease. Now, just to give you a taste of what these people had to endure, I want to go back to the Old Testament. And I want to talk about what Moses' law said about what people that had these skin diseases had to do with the rest of the community when they had these diseases. Going from Leviticus 13. Starting in verse 44, verse 45. Anyone with such a defiling disease, that means leprosy and any of these skin diseases, must wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkempt. No salon for you, baby. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Cover the lower part of your face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, can you even imagine the despair, the loneliness, and the pain that some of these people would be feeling all the time? I mean, the people of Israel were very communal people. Everything they did was in and of each other, and to be forced to go outside of the camp and be forced to isolate yourself from your whole community. Can you imagine the possible bitterness? All of the loneliness. I struggled to even fathom it to some degree, but this is what they had to live through. So anyway... By the time Jesus is going through this small town between Galilee and Samaria, these 10 skin diseased people had probably heard about him and doing his God-empowered miracles. So now they play their role. They stay at a distance, just like they're supposed to when they address him. They stay far back. And I bet they were thinking when they called out to him, will he listen to us? Now, will he even really bother? Will he even turn in our direction? Nobody else really seems to do so. But at the same time, the hope is tangible. You can almost taste it. The ten really seem to honor him and believe in him. When they said, Master, and that's a a serious word, Master, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. When they're talking to him in these terms, it's obvious that they're not looking for just a, a handout of money or they're not looking for a temporary something. They believe that they can have an authoritative work from an authoritative source. They were looking for a healing from God that they really believed that Jesus could deliver. Now, at this point, I can only imagine what they were thinking when Jesus actually even turns in their direction. They're like, sweet, he's acknowledged us. Nobody ever acknowledges us. Maybe he's going to heal us right here and now. I heard he's done it before. Oh, man, this is great. He's going to heal us. And then Jesus, get this now, without walking over to them, says, go and show yourself to the priest, 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 priest. <laughs> Maybe he's that far, we don't know. Now, if I was them, I'd be like, hmm. Now, they might have had all kinds of, uh, what? Kind of thoughts going on. Y'all say it with me. Uh, what? Like, this utter confusion, like, what's going on here? Now, we in the hearing now would have all kinds of, uh, what? Questions, but probably for different reasons. I know I'd be like, look, Jesus, why do I have to go anywhere? You can heal me right now. You are the Lord of glory. Why bring the priest of all people into this? Just do what you do and let's get it done. (laughs) But interestingly enough, Jesus asking people this kind of thing after he heals them, it really ain't new. Back in Luke 5, a guy asked Jesus to heal him. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. And the guy is healed. So after the healing, Jesus tells the guy, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, what kind of testimony is Jesus talking about here? If we go back to the Old Testament again and we see about the sacrifices that Moses commanded, we're led back to Leviticus 14. And I would recommend reading all of Leviticus 14, but I have just a piece of it so you can show, say what they had to go through here. Starting at verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleaning when they are brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. They have to do a little shopping here, Okay. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He then is to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. This is a lot of work here, okay? Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird into the open fields. Now, check it out. This is just a bit of the whole thing. I just gave you a little taste. Now, how would you like to have a bad case of acne back in this time period? Or some eczema or something like that? I mean, I'd be like, hey, just give me some oxytin or some soap. I'll be good. Just we, we ain't got to go through all that. But in fact, there is a real method to what seems to be just kind of a lot of re- religious rigmarole. Once all of these things were done and the, pre- the priest actually gave a clean bill of health to the Sick person, it was clear both to the healed person and to the community that healing and restoration was taking place. So, this was not only to testify to the religious leaders of the day of the goodness of God and healing, but it's also a method of reinstatement of the healed person back into the Jewish community. So, after this process, then they were able to have full rights of being an Israelite, the full rights of being a Jewish person. This explains why Jesus would be saying what he did to the 10 people. And this is going to have implications for what we're going to be talking about just a little bit later. Right now, let's get to the whole thing about the big, uh, what? That they might have considered, not us. See, as the 10 may have known, Jesus had healed people on the spot. No fanfare, no nothing. But these guys are being told to show themselves to the priest, and this is before they have any indication whatsoever that any healing will or has taken place. Jesus hasn't touched them. He hasn't come near them. He just merely says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. I bet at this point they'd be like, Jesus, how about you just spit a loogie on the ground, make some mud, and throw it at us, something. Touch us in some kind of way. There is a lot of stake in here, y'all. For the ten to go show themselves to the priest and not be healed, it would add insult to injury. And they would have no way of knowing whether or not the healing would really come. I really want us to feel the power and the peril of this faithful time. So I want you to think about this, about this analogy. Imagine, and I really hope this is imagination here. Imagine that you are a couple of months behind on your rent or your mortgage and you are just about to lose your shirt and your mind, okay? Okay. Now, you realize that there is a person who's cool, rich, he's a generous philanthropist person in your community, and he likes helping out different people with their financial troubles, either by giving them money or by just helping them with steps. So you do everything, you drive, swim, crawl until you get near this person. And then when you get near this person and you ask for help, do they sit down with you and talk? No. Do they say, hey, I'll set up a meeting with you, get back? No. They keep walking and they look towards you and they say, Hey, write a check to your mortgage company, company, company. I know if you're like me, you'd probably be like, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> now you want to talk about a faith walk. I think a lot of us would have a hard time with that. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes your money can be funny and that check can bounce like some rubber. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when Jesus is up here saying, hey, just, whenever this guy says write a check to your mortgage company, I think it would muster a lot of faith in any of us to walk in those steps. So can we even barely imagine what these 10 leprosy people had to think about when they were walking towards the priest? Now, amazingly, they demonstrate some hardcore faith in their willingness to obey the master and go onward. So I really have to credit all 10 of these people. They had some serious faith just to walk. Now, the text says that as they went, and this means as they journeyed towards the priest, they were healed. Hallelujah. (laughs) The grace and God has healed the outcasted and downtrodden. God has shown himself. The text is also unclear at what point the healing took place. Some commentators think that it was before getting to the priest. Some commentators think that it was after getting to the priest. Regardless to what, there's only one of them that sees what happened to them. And whenever this guy, and I'm assuming this is a guy, sees this, I see in my mind's eye that he can't even contain himself. I get the picture of this guy running around, hooping and hollering, thank you, thank you, just just cannot even contain himself. Praising God with a loud voice, knocking over stuff, carrying on, knocking over little babies, everything. Now, praising God for being healed isn't really that big a deal. That happens a lot in Luke. But there are two very distinctive things here that I did want to bring out. First of all, This person, the one person, actually goes back to find Jesus, all the way back to find Jesus. Once he finds Jesus, he bows down to Jesus. This is a man. He bows down to Jesus and thanks him directly for what happened with God. Now, that's major stuff in and of itself when you think about it. But this next thing is also pretty big. The guy turns out to be a Samaritan of all people, not even a part of the Jewish community. Now, here's a little something about the relationship between the Jewish community and the Samaritan community. They did not get along. Actually, the Jewish community felt like the Samaritan community was a community of half-breeds and that they were illegitimate people and were not at all full participants in the covenant that Israel had with God. They also had their own separate ways of worship. So we are saying that these people really had a big divide. And this is another case where the, the message of God brings reconciliation to that divide. This person had immense faith, not only because he went the first time with the priest, because get this, we don't know if he went to Jewish priest or what. So, But if he did go to the Jewish priest, that could have been rejection right there. But then to get healed and then come all the way back to a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish wonder worker, a Jewish teacher to possibly face rejection again, this man really has some faith. But in the turnabout, Jesus does not reject him at all. As a matter of fact, he marvels at the fact that the one person out of the whole 10 that came back was a Samaritan. Our text says a foreigner. And that he not only praised God like he did, but he actually received, not just with his lips, but with his actions. He received Jesus as master and thanked him personally and directly after the event. Now, here we have an example of somebody that went completely out of their way to give back the gift of gratitude to the instrument of God's working, Jesus of Nazareth. And something special happened because of that that we're going to talk about here in a second. All right, now, here's where we get to the point of my own personal sense of judgment. This is where it came in. I've read this passage before, and I've read about the 10, and I've always deeply criticized the nine. How in the world could you be so blind as to not thank Jesus? How ungrateful? You've been unhealed for all this time, and he's going to heal you. You can't go back and thank him? Well, I sure wouldn't do that if I was back then. <laughs> Y'all know the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit always takes these kinds of opportunity to convict us of our big egos and our large self-deception, and the Holy Spirit took time to... Uh, Correct me of some things. <laughs> As I thought more about the situation of the 10 and going to the priests, I had a consideration of why, a possible reason why the nine didn't come back. Remember when I talked about how the people were ostracized, the people that were afflicted with leprosy, they were isolated from their community. They were ostracized from their friends and family and loved one. They would be shunned by everyone and thought to be unclean. Now, here's a thought. What if the nine people were so excited and they were so concerned about being restored to their stations in life and their stations in their community and their stations with their family that they didn't even think about going back to the place where they found Jesus to give thanks? See, their dreams of being human again were coming true. Their dreams of being held and touched and cared for were being true, coming true again. They were going back home, y'all. All the love and care and consideration that their their, their, um, community could give to them was being brought back to them because they had been healed. They had done what Jesus told them to do, so what's the problem? They had followed God's directions and God had healed them. What else mattered, right? I mean, actually, I could see one of these people, I could actually see myself saying, well, God, it's about freaking time that you did this. I've been over there at that small place begging and pleading and I've been faithful and I've walked here and now you've honored me. It's about time that you did this. Now as I think about it and I think about that possible attitude, I saw that I could no longer judge the nine because I saw myself in the nine. I saw my own actions in the nine. You see, I could easily see the prospect of earthly relationships having a temptation for me and perhaps for you as well. I look at my own life and I look at how God has given me great gifts only for me to turn around and lose myself in the greatness of the gift. And so when I look back at my history, I cannot say with full certainty that I would not have done the same thing that the nine did. I mean, let me tell you something. If I had been outcasted for so long and I haven't seen anybody, I think the first thing I would want to do is go see my folks, go see my my people's, Actually, I would be more concerned about seeing my wifey than seeing Jesus. Ha <laughs> I missed you, baby. <laughs> and I'd be like, thanks, God, and be done with it. I really don't think that right after the healing, I'd be going right back to that cruddy place where I was to find Jesus in some podunk town where I hung out when I was down and out. All the memories of the place and the despair would just probably be overwhelming. And just like the nine who didn't go back, I would have missed out on a deeper revelation of God. Has anybody else felt like that, or am I the only one? You see, something we have to face about ourselves in our modern society is that it places us into situations just like this. As soon as our situations turn around, however hard they may be, we are conditioned to be in such control of our lives that we tend to do what we think we should do with the blessings. Now, we'll pray to get out of a hard situation. We'll be like, oh, Father God, please bless us, Father God. We love you, Father God. See, it doesn't work unless you say the Father God. Oh, Father God, if you just give us this money, this last time, we promise we're going to do good and all that. And so then when the stuff comes out of nowhere, the healing comes out of nowhere, the breakthrough comes out of nowhere, almost the first thing that we want to do is focus on ourselves and trying to get back what we lost. Well, maybe we can get ahead on this bill. Maybe we can get ahead on this relationship. Maybe we can get ahead on this. And we do not spend time thinking about the God that gave us the thing that we were praying for. Actually, sometimes as children of God, we can feel so entitled to being blessed that almost the first thing we want to do is focus on ourselves and not understand that we are the lowly, humble servant children of God. We forget that God owes us absolutely nothing and we go, oh God, absolutely everything. God talked last week, Greg talked last week about how the humility, how we need to see that we don't earn God's love or favor, but that we do everything we do because we are loving service. We are doing our rightful duty by serving God. We are to keep ourselves face down in our hearts and sometimes face down in our flesh, so that we understand and do not fall into the illusion of 21st century American entitlement to comfort and blessing. We've got to take great care to get out of the ways of our world, out of the ways of you rule, and actually say that God rules and say that it is not for us, but it is for God that we live and that we move and that we have our being. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. Now as I see it, there are three things that we can learn from this story. Three things. When we are blessed by the gracious, loving, gift-giving God, the first thing that we cannot do is we do not let ourselves get overwhelmed with God's gift to us. Don't get overwhelmed with God's gift to you. I want to give an example here. Let's imagine that there's these two people and they're in love. And, you know, this, this, is, this is a modern situa- situation. So let's say that the woman wants to propose to the guy. And so they're at a Timberwolves game. And so she spent all this money and, and got, got all this money together and bought a beautiful ring. And so right during halftime, you know, she's like, you know, honey, we've been dating for a long time. And I kind of like you. And actually, I really love you. And so I just want to just ask you, Boop, will you marry me? And the guy's like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is that two carrots? Oh my God, that's a two carat ring. What's up, dog? Hey, my girl got me a two carat ring, man. Now, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you be like um, me, love, marriage, want to be with you for life? (laughs) See, there are some times where people can be so enamored with the gift because it is such a wonderful gift, that two carat ring that they forget the whole purpose of the giving of the ring. They forget the whole purpose of the love relationship that is behind such sacrificial giving of this two-carat ring. And I would say that we do the same thing when it comes to God. When we get the breakthrough, when we get the healing, when we get the message or the word that we've been praying for, we will be so enamored with that word and so enamored with the glorious life that we have in that blessing that we will forget to be humble before the God who made it possible. And that is when we can fall into pride and danger. So the first thing that we must do is we cannot let ourselves get overwhelmed with God's gift to us. The second thing that we have to do is understand that the love relationship to God, who is the tremendous gift giver, is more important than the gift. Again, the love relationship to God is more important than the gift. See, sometimes the gift itself can be the test of the relationship, just like in this case of the two-carat ring. Any gift that God gives us, if we do not watch it, if we don't watch our self-centeredness, if we don't watch our humility, it can turn into an idol. And that idol can actually push us further and further away from God. That's why it's so important for us to understand that it is the love relationship that is central. It is the love that God has for us that ushers him into giving us the good gifts. And it is the love relationship that energizes us as believers to do what we need to do for the kingdom. Without the love relationship to God, we're lost. And the thing that God gives us means nothing. So that's the second thing. The love relationship to God, who is the gift giver, is more important than the gift. Finally, and we're going to spend some time on this here. The third thing is we have to understand that gratitude completes what faith begins. Gratitude completes what faith begins. And I specifically waited until now to talk more deeply about this, about the one person that was healed and then returned. Whenever the Samaritan returned to Jesus and gave the gift of gratitude... He got something proclaimed to him that was really, really special and and very serious. We need to kind of look at this. So let's go back to the text, Luke 17. And we're starting at verse 15 here. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God, except this foreigner. And then he said to him, and this is the part, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now we want to take some time and focus on this last phrase. If you look at different commentaries and different scholars, they all agree that this is not just a restatement about the fact that he was healed. Reason being because all 10 lepers actually exhibited faith and all 10 lepers actually experienced cleansing. So we have to be talking about something different here. See, the Samaritan was not only cleansed, but he actually, on account of his faith, was given insight into the inbreaking kingdom through Jesus. He was enabled able to see what the nine were not able to see. He was able to see Jesus as part of the gift from God. And on this basis, not because he was a Jew, not because he had good skin, but just because he had faith in Jesus and he, com- he completed that faith by giving gratitude, he received illumination of salvation. He received illumination that others did not receive. See, yes, the 10 had faith and God blessed them for that faith. They received from God. They probably did a lot more than a lot of us would have done in the same situation. However, it cannot be denied that the Samaritan of all people is the one who received the completion of what could have existed for all 10. And that's a deeper realization and revelation of who Christ is and the healing power of Christ. See, the Bible healing that all 10 of them got could be lost. I mean, one of them could catch leprosy again or catch eczema or catch all of these different things again. And then all of the relationships that were restored, all the things that they got back would be lost again. But the one person who came back, the blessed state of salvation that the Samaritan got for giving the gift of gratitude, it wouldn't matter how many times he got a skin disease again, that gift that he got from Jesus, that declaration would not be taken from him. And I believe that the same thing applies to us today. There's absolutely no blessing that God can give us. There's nothing that God can give us physically or materially that can take the place of seeking Jesus all alone and knowing him better. No restored family relationship, no restored financial relationship, no restored job relationship, even no restored bodily functioning. Nothing at all can replace the centrality of Jesus. Jesus is and he must be central to everything that we are about. And it should be our joy as well as our duty to fall down at his feet and give thanks for everything that he's done for us. Not the, just the big things, but even the little things. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I understand that I'm a spiritual leper. I fall into sin occasionally. I think some of us here do that. And being that, being that we are spiritual lepers, we are outcasted to a degree. And we need the grace, the healing grace of God each and every day. And he gives it to us each and every day. So we are recipients of healing just like the lepers are. So the question that I have to ask is this. When we receive that grace, do we give it all back? Do we give it all back just like the Samaritan? Do we take the time to find Jesus and say, thank you so much for what you've done for us? Or do we do just like the nine and we're so enamored by our blessed state that we forget to give thanks, give the gift of gratitude to the giver? I want to end off with this scripture. Scripture is 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, it is God's will, his very design for our lives as human beings, that we be thankful at all times. Not just when we get our socks blessed off, not just when we get the breakthrough, but at all times. We are Eucharistic by nature. That means we are made, we exist to give God thanks and praise and glory. It is part of what energizes us as Christians and it pleases God. Check this out. Whenever we choose not to give God the gift of gratitude, not only are we just being straight disobedient. I just read the word to you. Not only are we being straight disobedient, but we're actually cutting off our own energy supply. We get energy from glorifying God. God is our only source, not the physical things and the pleasures that he gives us. So when we cut ourselves off from God by being ungrateful, when we cut ourselves off from God by being just unthinking of him, we are actually worse off than we would have been otherwise. I'm going to give you some example. Everybody just take a brief breath right now. Just take a deep breath. Don't worry about your breath. Just take a brief breath. Now, believe it or not, God gave you the ability to take that breath. And every breath that you take from here on out, he continues to give you that gift. Now, are we going to give him the gift of gratitude for even that simple gift? Or are we going to forget that? My brothers and sisters, we have to live in gratitude so that like the person that came back, like the Samaritan, the outcast one that came back, we can truly see Jesus, not just receive from Jesus, but we can truly see him as he is and fully participate in his saving acts. That is what we are called for. We are called to live in his salvation, and we can only do that by living in gratitude. So I kind of have an assignment for us, all of us. I want you to think, I want all of us, actually, to think about some recent blessings that God has given us. Recent blessings, they can be small, they can be big, whatever they are. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. How have I glorified God for these blessings today? In other words, even for the breath that you just took, how do I glorify God when God comes through with the money? How do I glorify God when he comes through with the healed relationship? How do I glorify God for these blessings that I've received lately? And then the second thing, how have I personally expressed my gratitude to Jesus for these blessings? Not in a general sense, but how how often do I get alone and I just say, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, the Son of God, I just want to thank you personally for this thing. I want to thank you personally for my life. I want to thank you personally for what you've allowed me to do. And let's ask the Spirit to be gut level real with us. Let me tell you something, in being gut level real with myself, I have learned that I can be very ungrateful. I can be very unthinking of God. And I'm learning, I'm asking God to show me to thank him in even the simplest things. And if you get gut level real with God and you find that there's sometimes that you're ungrateful, do not let Satan condemn you, just receive the forgiveness of God and ask God to make the move towards giving you a more grateful life through his spirit. See, the interesting thing here is this. The more that we live in giving the gift of gratitude to God, the more that we actually become like our Father, who is the giver of all good gifts. And isn't that what this is all about? Being conformed to Christ and letting the love of the Father show through us, being holy as He is holy. Let's live in gratitude, live in love, live in God's salvation. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this message. And I pray that as we ask these questions of ourselves, that we just continue to be gut level real with ourselves. We will not accept condemnation, but we do want you to reveal to us where we could be more thankful, where we could give you the gift of gratitude. Because we want to live in the fullness of who you are and in the fullness of what you have for us. Let this word go, let it fall deep into our hearts and let it bear fruit. Fruit that you would be pleased with. And we just thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen.